Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Friday morning. That means it's time once again for the weekend review and preview conversation. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Matt Tormey, Equity Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, great to be back with you here on the podcast. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. And yeah, good morning, everyone. So heading into this week, I know the Fed's policy decision, Matt, was top of mind for investors. That decision ultimately delivered a 25 basis point hike. So can you provide some takeaways, Matt, specifically from Chairman Powell's press conference and what the market response consisted of? I know we did see a a bit of selling pressure in the hours following the decision. So curious to hear about what drove that specifically. Yeah, of course. So, right, as you mentioned, Dan, the March FOMC meeting did take place on Wednesday, and the Fed did deliver a 25 basis point rate hike, which was in line with market expectations. And this does now bring the federal funds target range to 4.75 to 5%. So one of the biggest takeaways from this meeting was how is the Fed going to respond given the recent stresses in the banking system? And it's fair to say that the problems weren't severe enough to hold the federal funds target range steady. During the press conference, Fed Chair Powell did note that it's still too early to know how much of an impact the banking system issues will have on the economy, but he emphasized quite a few times that the banking system is sound and resilient. Additionally, he compared the tighter credit conditions that will likely result from the recent turmoil to Fed policy action and that the impact is likely to weigh on the economy in a similar fashion to rate hikes. So this means that there are likely downside risks for growth, employment, and inflation. Also at this meeting, we received an updated summary of economic projections, so a few takeaways from here. First, the March projections were mostly in line with the previous projections from December. So if we look at the dot plot, the median 2023 dot indicates FOMC member expectations for rates at the end of the year was unchanged at 5.1%. The median 2024 dot saw a slight uptick uh, to 4.25%, and the median 2025 dot was also unchanged at about 3.1%. Second, both the 2023 and 2024 GDP forecasts were revised lower, and for 2023 specifically, if we take into account the strong data that's already been released so far this year, this does imply that at best, the quarter-over-quarter growth rate will be zero through the remainder of the year. Third, although the 2023 unemployment rate forecast improved from 4.6% to 4.5%, it's still quite pessimistic given the current unemployment rate is 3.6%. And finally, the core PCE inflation forecasts were revised up slightly for this year and next year, which clearly indicates the Fed believes inflation is still a major risk. Now, if we look at the market response during and after the press conference, we did see Treasury yields fall with a more dramatic move taking place at the shorter end of the curve than the longer end. Interestingly, we also did see the market expectations for the path of the Fed funds rate decline quite sharply for the remainder of the year, which is in contrast with the Fed sinking. And on the equity side, stocks did bounce around quite a bit, but then they did pull back at the tail end of the press conference after comments from Treasury Secretary Yellen when she mentioned a blanket insurance of bank deposits wasn't being considered. So bottom line, it's argued that the Fed's likely going to have to hike one or more two times this year, assuming that there isn't additional bad news coming from the banking system, and we expect the Fed to remain data-dependent with a wide range of outcomes being possible. 
Well, thank you, Matt, for that recap. A lot of interesting takeaways there and interesting to hear about what drove specifically the market response we witnessed in the wake of the press conference. You mentioned the banks, Matt. It was interesting. Heading into the meeting, there was speculation that the Fed might pause hikes in consideration of the recent and ongoing banking crisis. So where does that all stand today, Matt? And are there any indications of the banking crisis stabilizing? Yes. So Fed Chair Powell actually did mention during the press conference that a pause this meeting was considered. But ultimately, there was still a strong consensus among FOMC members to go ahead with another 25 basis point hike because inflation is higher than where they want it to be. And the labor market data has been stronger than expected. Now, at the beginning of his comments, he did mention that history has shown isolated bank problems, if unaddressed, can't undermine the banking system as a whole. And he noted the Fed has taken actions that will strengthen confidence in the banking system to ensure deposits are safe, such as use of the Fed's discount window and the newly created bank term funding program. Also, it was reassuring to hear from Powell that deposit flows in the banking system have stabilized over the past week. So it's clear that the Fed's number one priority is getting inflation down, and it will do whatever it takes to accomplish that goal. Now, reflecting on where the, where the banking crisis stands today, look, we want to highlight that we believe the panic we've seen in March is very different from the global financial crisis when the banking system was overleveraged and banks were taking risks that led to mortgage-related assets being worth substantially less than assumed due to the bust in the U.S. housing market. Today, the banking system is much less leveraged, and the banks that have been at the center of the storm had high concentrations of uninsured deposits or had invested in very high-quality assets that lost value due to the rise in interest rates. So a failure to properly manage interest rate risk is a key issue here. Now, if the assets were allowed to mature and depositors remain patient, these banks would have been able to meet all of their demands, but because they were forced to sell early, they had to realize these assets at a loss. And to help mitigate the crisis, the aggressive actions taken by regulators to provide liquidity to the banking system, examples that included what Powell mentioned in his press conference on Wednesday, and the implicit guarantee of all uninsured deposits is likely going to go a long way to resolving the panic and should restore investor confidence in the financial system. So we are expecting the crisis to eventually abate, but in the near term, we'll probably still see some volatility as we receive more clarity on the impact of the financial system. Well, Matt, thank you for the update there on where the banks stand. Of course, it does remain a very fluid situation, though important to understand the distinctions with respect to this crisis and that we experienced back in 2008 with the global financial crisis. So thank you for clarifying that for us, Matt. So in terms of positioning, Matt, can you speak a bit to the Chief Investment Office's current outlook for equity returns through the balance of 2023 and maybe offer some guidance when it comes to positioning? within the asset class for the current environment? Definitely. So we've certainly learned a lot over the past couple of weeks, and this week's FOMC meeting shared some light on what the path in monetary policy could look like over the course of the year. But if we look at where equity markets have been trading, we've really been range-bound since about last summer with the S&P 500 trading in the high 3,000s and low 4,000s. And we've wobbled between these levels as investors grapple with the prospects for a soft landing versus a hard landing. And we think this narrative likely continues as evidenced by our June and December S&P 500 price targets, which are a bit below current levels. Now, this will change depending on which scenario ends up playing out. 
So in a soft landing, we think there's about 10% or so upside from here to around 4,400 on the S&P 500. And in a hard landing, we could see about 15 to 20% downside towards 3,300. But in our view, it may not be until late this year or early 2024 to know if the hard landing scenario will play out. So we do still remain a bit cautious on the outlook for U.S. equities from here. And this cautious view is driven by three factors. First, inflation is still too high. And if we look at core PCE, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, it is coming down, but it's still quite above levels where the Fed would be comfortable. So policy is still likely to stay restrictive. Second, if we use the yield curve as a signal, specifically the spread between 10-year and 2-year Treasury yields, from a sustainable inversion to the onset of a recession, historical data would suggest about another six to nine months or so from now when we would start to see more difficult economic conditions. And third, lending standards are tightening. So if we look specifically at the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, 45% of banks are tightening. And given the recent turmoil in the banking sector, it's likely that credit availability is going to become even more challenging. And historically, this has meant a slowdown in earnings growth. So how do we recommend investors be positioned in this current environment? So yesterday, alongside CIO's regular house view update, we did make quite a few changes in our positioning. So just to quickly summarize, on sectors, we shifted to more defensive bias with most preferred views on the consumer staples, industrials, and utility sectors, and least preferred views on the consumer discretionary, financials, and information technology sectors. On style, we did downgrade value from most preferred to neutral, but growth remains the least preferred for us given the double risk of elevated valuations and underappreciated earnings risk, especially in a potentially more challenging economic environment. And finally, we did maintain our neutral view across size segments, but we do highlight that for investors with a longer-term horizon, small and mid-cap stocks were quite attractive given their relatively low valuations versus large-cap stocks which suggests they should outperform over the next decade. Okay, so quite a few changes, Matt, as you outlined for us within the April UBS house view with respect to equities. So thank you for keeping us current on CIO's thinking when it comes to equities and guidance when it comes to positioning. I do want to point out to our clients listening in that the full April UBS house view investment strategy guide is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO. If you want to read a bit further into the changes updates, matches shared with us. Of course, for clients of UBS, you can reach out to your UBS financial advisor to receive a copy directly. Though with that, Matt, maybe at this point we can pivot over to the preview portion of our conversation. So turning to next week, Matt, what is taking place that investors should be mindful of? Yeah, so next week we'll receive a few economic data points that investors should definitely be paying attention to. And we'll hear from a couple S&P 500 companies in the tech, industrial, and consumer sectors that are reporting earnings, even though we are still a few weeks away from the official start of the first quarter earnings season. But back to the economic calendar for next week, starting on Monday, we'll receive some manufacturing-related insights with the release of the Dallas Fed Index. On Tuesday, another manufacturing-related survey that should provide additional insights with the release of the Richmond Fed Index. On housing, we'll receive some data on single-family home prices with the January FHFA Home Price Index and the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Survey for March, which will be published. And consensus is currently expecting a downtick from the prior month. Moving on to Wednesday, pending home sales data will come out. And after a high single-digit month-over-month increase last month, consensus is actually expecting a low single-digit decrease for February. 
Turning to Thursday, we'll get the final fourth quarter GDP reading, which is expected to remain unchanged, and the weekly initial and continuing jobless claims numbers, which, again, yesterday came in at relatively benign levels. And finally, looking ahead to Friday, quite a few prints are set to hit the tape. So on inflation, core PCE for February will be released, and while the month-over-month reading is expected to soften, it looks like consensus is expecting the year-over-year reading to be unchanged. Additionally, updates on personal income and spending will be helpful as we continue to monitor the strength of consumer households and excess savings, which has been providing support for the economy. On manufacturing, the Chicago PMI for March is expected to remain unchanged. And wrapping up, the final reading for the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, which consensus is expecting to be unchanged as of today. Okay, so a very busy macro week ahead, and this, of course, against the backdrop of a very fluid market environment. Though, Matt, this was very helpful. Thank you for dropping by to recap what was a busy, eventful week in the markets, previewing for our listeners what they can expect in the week ahead. And I do wish you a nice and restful weekend. Looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend, everyone. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 